Well, it's, uh, it's great to see all of you today, and if you're a guest, we're so thankful you're here. My name is David, and I'm the pastor of the church, and I want you to know you're always welcome uh, at First Baptist Church. Whatever we can do to help make your time here enjoyable, please uh, let us know as we honor God. We're, uh, we're in right in the middle of a sermon series uh, this month that really deals with God. You know, we're, we're looking at God, because in a life that sometimes seems crazy, in a life where life doesn't always make sense, which is common, you know, you live long enough, there can be times things don't make sense. We need one who makes sense of it all. And so that's our sermon, the one who makes sense of it all is our series. Looking at God, we've seen the one who is holy. We have a holy God. Uh, we have seen the one who reveals, he reveals himself to us in generally in the world around us and internally, but specifically on the pages of his revelation in scripture, ultimately in Jesus Christ. And that leads us to the message today about the one um, who creates and the one who created. And uh, one of the things about God is he is the creator. And we're going to actually be uh, in a verse in the book of Revelation uh, to look at that. And before we get there, this is what I want you to get from the message today. God is the creator. And for life to make sense, I need to understand the power of the creator in worshiping. I need to understand the absolute power of our creator. And I need to worship him. And so I'm going to start off, I talk about in the beginning, normally when you look at creation, you begin with Genesis 1-1, and normally I do that. In fact, I think when I became the pastor, that was either the very first or very second message I preached was from Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and, and, and the start of the divine revelation of God as he reveals himself to us in the very first book is we give the very first doctrine that is taught, and that is that God creates. And if I was just going to preach a doctrinal message, that's where I would be. God creates, um, and he created something from nothing. In fact, when I preach that message, I will say that there was a time when there was nothing but God, and then there was a time when all that changed. There was a time when there was just God, and then that changed because God took nothing but from his unbelievable imagination and creative power, he created something. Creation is interwoven in the fabric of our faith. To take, take creation away from the Christian faith really is to begin the process of destroying our whole belief system. There are four great pillars, great truths of the Christian faith who we find, you know, in the Old Testament as well as the New, but to begin the Old Testament too. Uh, in the New Testament, creation is one of those pillars. Revelation is one. And in fact, last week we looked at the God's revelation, him revealing himself to us. Um, and, and then the other two are in the New Testament, the incarnation. We celebrate at Christmas and the resurrection. We celebrate at Easter, coming up the Easter season in, in March and April. That Those two months, I'm preaching a series uh, about the, the cross of Christ. And so we, we see those are the pillars of our faith. And when, when you come to the pages of, of what we call the Bible, you, you see creation all there. In Genesis, obviously, the book of Psalms, there's lots of stuff about creation there. Even the New Testament, we see it from John, uh, as God created, and we see it in the book of Revelation. Uh, Revelation is, is probably the most unusual book uh, in all of, of the Bible. It's the only one like it. It's, it is the only type of literature genre exclusive to itself uh, of the apocalyptical kind of literature. And the word apocalyptical just means kind of the revealing. There's just kind of this mystery about the book of Revelation. I get it. People ask me questions all the time. After the service, some of you will probably want to come up, you know, and, and sometimes and ask a question or do this or that. And, and, and I understand that uh, in, in, um, um, in July, I think, I think it's the 30th. Every year we have this thing called a deep fry one night in the summer, a Friday night. 
we take, take about four hours from 6.30 to 10.30 and just look at something in Scripture and we go deep into it. Last year, it was the Upper Room Discourse. A couple of years ago, it was Sermon on the Mount, Book of Hebrews. This, this year, it's on Revelation. And, uh, and let me just say this. I know there's a lot of different understandings of Revelation. I get that. Probably many of you understand it into some capacity different than I would, and I get that, and that's fine. But whatever book I come to, all 66 books of the Bible, I approach all the same way. It's just consistent. And uh, you need to do that to understand Scripture. And I, I ask certain questions that I want to know. I understand all of it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. I accept all of that at face value. I want to know who wrote it, if I can, and most of the time you can. I want to know who he wrote it to, and normally you can. I want to know when he wrote it, and I want to know why he wrote it. I want to know those. And as I begin to understand that context... I can begin to understand that. The book of Revelation was written by the last living apostle, John. Probably wrote it in the back end of the first century, about 90 to 96. Towards the end of the reign of an emperor named Domitian, who ruled Rome from 81 to 96. When he, when he wrote it, he had been exiled to this island called Patmos. And he was exiled there because of his refusal to worship the emperor. By the time Domitian came to be the emperor, it was expected of people within the Roman Empire to, to pay honor and, and homage to the emperor, and sometimes, if they demanded it, to worship them as deity. And Domitian considered himself a god, and he expected you to worship him. To not worship him was to face a severe penalty. Could be exile, could be the loss of property, could be imprisonment, could be death. And there were a group of Christians. At that time, Christianity had really taken off in the Asia area we call Asia Minor uh, back then. It's what we would call Turkey today. A lot of the New Testament is either written to or from that area. The book of Ephesians, Colossians. There's a book to the Laodiceans that we know of, but we don't have it. Uh, Peter wrote to that area, that whole general area. Paul wrote from there. He wrote two letters to Timothy, who was at Ephesus. And this book we call Revelation was written to a group of churches in the area of Asia Minor. And these churches were experiencing persecution because they refused to worship Domitian. Now, it wasn't necessarily the emperor who was bringing the persecution. But in that area of Asia Minor, and Christianity had grown and was growing rapidly. It had started about 40 years earlier and had just taken off. And Paul had begun it there on his first journey. Um, but... but they, that area was very patriotic to themselves, to, you know, kind of like New Mexicans love New Mexico, Texans love Texans. They had that mindset. But they were also fiercely devout, not to Rome, but to the emperor, because the emperor protected them in their minds and protected their status within the Roman Empire. And there was this council of people, this group, we always think of a parliament or like, kind of like a, a council that represented the different areas. And one of their primary tasks was to be sure that the dictates and the rules of the emperor were carried out. They were called, and we know this from sources outside the New Testament, they were called the commune, uh, the kind of the council. And they were the ones who at this time were enforcing the worship of the emperor. And they were the ones who were bringing about the persecution. And they were severely persecuting the believers. And if you were a believer in 90 A.D., and you had probably either come from a pagan background or your family had come from a pagan background. You were a second-generation believer. And, and, and you were devoutly 
loyal to God through Christ. And all of a sudden, you were beginning to feel pressure, and you were persecuted, and people were losing their property, and some were thrown in prison, and you knew people who were dying because they wouldn't worship the Roman emperor. There would be a certain fear come upon you, a certain uneasiness. Why was this happening to us? And John wrote these people a book, a letter we call Revelation. And in it, he reveals this unbelievable message of hope that despite what they're going through, at some point, Domitian and Rome, their power will come to an end. And Jesus Christ, who is victorious, will end this evil. And at some point, he will end all evil. And in the end, we are victorious in Christ. We win. In about 93, uh, I was... Um, 1993, because I'm going to clarify the 90s. <laughs> so I, God took me back to the year 93. In 1993, I was taking my last seminar in my doctoral level work, and it was the class on end things. And there was about 13 of us. And one of the guys in there uh, was the bishop of the church in St. Petersburg in Russia. That was the bishop was the head of all these churches. St. Petersburg used to be called Leningrad. It was originally St. Petersburg. They came to Leningrad during the communist reigns back to St. Petersburg. And this is right after, you know, the USSR and communism fell. And uh, we were talking about it, and we just kind of were picking his brain. And he said, listen, I lived at a time like this book talks about. I lived where people who were worshipers of Christ could lose their property. I knew people who were dragged out of their homes. I knew pastors who were taken and never to be seen again and people put to death. To us, just like the people of that day, the book of Revelation means this. In the end, we win. Christ is victorious. John is writing that book. After he deals with the seven churches specifically in chapters 2 and 3, he comes to chapter 4 with this vision. This vision of God lifting high on his throne in the midst of all the chaos and confusion of God being worshipped. And uh, in verse 8, 9, and 10, let me just read a little bit what he says. And don't, I'm not going to explain the living creatures or the elders, what all that means. I'll come in July and I'll do my best then. I have to figure it out first. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I get what it means. <laughs> and the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night, they do not cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. Sounds like what we read two weeks ago in Isaiah too, doesn't it? Right? Holy, holy, holy. Verse 9, and when the living creatures gave glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him whose lives forever and ever, who lives forever and ever, and will cast their crowns before the throne saying, now you have this picture of worship. And, and, and so John's saying, listen, I know, guys, I know it's tough. And I know that Domitian is demanding worship and you're refusing to do it. And I know all this stuff is happening, but God is on his throne right now and glorious and being victorious. There's this picture of worship. And then he gives the reason to worship. Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will, they existed and were created. Now, we're, we're reading something, you know, 1,930 years, I think, after it was written, something like that, a long time ago. But, but, and, and we don't always get everything, but they got all that. They, they understood what was going on. And worthy are you. The idea of worth is deserving. Caesar wanted worship. Domitian wanted worship. He, he, he wasn't, he wasn't a, a god who existed before creation. He was just this old boy who became the emperor and decided, you know what? You're going to start worshiping me. He assumed deity. But worthy is God. Why? 
because he has glory, honor, and power to receive all that. I remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the holiness, and we said, you know, God is holy, and that's the first thing we learn about God. And his glory is the revealing of his holiness. And so we glorify God. We recognize his glory, his holiness, and honor, and all that is his. He, he, he gets all of that. Why? Because he's the Lord and our God. Now, here's the thing. Caesar... An image of Caesar would, be, would go around in the different places and stops in the communities. And in, in this image, you would come and you would pay homage. You would bow down. You'd burn incense. You, you basically worship. And on it, it would say, our Lord and our God. It would say it in, 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 um, in Latin. I, I thought about telling you what it says in Latin. I took Latin my sophomore year in high school. It was a two-year uh, uh, hitch, you know, Latin, you know, Latin 192. I must have been really good at it because after my first year, they said, you don't need to come back and take any more Latin. You got, your, your, all, you got what you're going to get out of it. In Latin, it literally translates to our Lord and our God. And now, now get this. In this vision, who is it that is truly our Lord and our God? It is the one true God. It's not Caesar. And so in this image, they're seeing the one who is the Lord and, the, and God. It is he is the one who is worthy, not Caesar. So they, they're doing the, the, absolutely the right thing. And then he tells them why that he is worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things. You are the creator. I mean, before anything existed, you were there. I mean, when you're the one that creates, you have all the power. When you're the one that creates, you were before everything else. Before there was a Caesar. Before there was a Rome. Before there was anything. There was God. And not only did he create, get this. It was because of your will, everything created, existed. Your will. The will is, speaks of the imagination. The creativity. God, there was nothing, there was nothing before God created. He took nothing. And in his imagination, in his mind, he willed it into existence, just like he wanted. He willed Rome into existence. He willed Caesar. Everybody was willed because of the mind of God. And they were created by him. <laughs> who is the one who has true power? Is it Caesar? No. It's God, who always existed, who was holy, who was and is and is to come. He has the power. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. We worship the one who created us because he is the one who has this unbelievable power. Now, creation is not just a historical event. We think of it that way, and it's okay. And oftentimes, you know, we're arguing with atheists and other people about creation, and so we go to the historical aspect of it, and that's fine. But understand, creation is so much more, because creation reveals the who behind it. And it tells us something about the creator, and it tells us about something about what the creator intended. And the creator created us. And we know this. He created us to worship him, to have a relationship with him, to be with him. And sin damages all of that. And it takes us away from him. And it destroys that relationship. And God allows it to happen because he gives us this freedom to reject him. It's an amazing God. And because of that, evil comes into this world. And, and you're living at 90 AD, and, and you're trying to honor Christ, and you're just being persecuted. And, and John writes this. He's been shipped off to this island. He's an old man. He's an old guy. I mean, if he was here, he'd come to the early service. I mean, he's...
sing the hymns and all that. I'm just kidding. He'd come to all three of them. Because <laughs> he loves Jesus more than the rest of us. So he's on this island. And he writes this unbelievable picture of God. And before he begins to unveil all the things that Jesus told him, he wants to let them know and remind them, listen, God won't let evil have the final answer. You understand that in the world we live in today. There is evil. I, listen, I'm, sometimes I use that word a little too recklessly, I get it, because I'll say, that's an evil person. But listen, there is evil in this world. There's always been evil. God will never let evil have the final answer. We wonder, well, God, why don't you do something about it now? Why didn't God do it? I can, I can picture myself living back then. God, you know what? Okay, do something. And, and, and sometimes it's like, you know, you think about the book of Revelation, and at the end, you know, Jesus is victorious. Jesus comes back, you know, and, and the New Testament teaches this. Paul teaches it. You know, Jesus is going to come again. Jesus taught it. Well, why don't you go ahead and come now? That makes sense. If you're coming into all this. But here's the thing. When Jesus comes, not only does evil end, but the opportunity for people who are evil to come to salvation ends as well. See, when Jesus comes, that's it. God sent Jesus into this world to bring people to salvation. Those, those folks that in Asia Minor, they were in that group. I mean, some of them were second-generation Christians. I get it. But, but some of them, they had come to Christ, or their parents had come to Christ out of paganism. And if God had just, you know, at the resurrection of Jesus ended it all, they would have had no chance, no chance to come to salvation. And God in his patience allows, he allows people to rebel against him. The evil's against God. He allows them to rebel, to give them a chance to come to faith. And because he allows them to rebel, sometimes, sometimes faithful people, people of God suffer. From an earthly standpoint, not an eternal standpoint, God sees things from the point of eternity, not earth. And so he'll allow for a little while. He's allowing them a little while to suffer. And sometimes we have to ask ourselves this question. How much are you willing to suffer so that people might come to Jesus? You have friends that are lost. Some of you go to college. You have friends in college. You may not see them. They're online somewhere in the you know, Zoom world. You have family members that are not followers of Jesus. People you work with. People you care about. If Jesus comes this afternoon, they have no chance after that to come. So you might suffer for a while now, that's true, but how much are you willing to suffer so that people you love can come to faith? Evil, man. Domitian was so evil, I cannot describe him in words. And, and, and it's just, it is unbelievable how cruel he was. And the things that they did and the suffering that took place. And God will end it. God is just. Next week I'm preaching on God is just. But, but this book reminds them it's going to be okay. That in the end, Domitian is going to be defeated. And Rome will be just wiped off the face of the earth as they know it. And God's will is going to be accomplished because in his will, all things are accomplished. See, no matter how bad things are, God's will is working towards fulfillment. No matter how bad things may seem in your life right now. God's will is working towards fulfillment. I'm not saying everything that happens in your life is God's will. I, I don't think all, the, all those horrible things that are happening, that's just God's will. Or you don't have enough faith. No, 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 no. But all those things that happen in your life, they are not going to thwart. They're not going to defeat. They are not going to keep God's will from occurring. The God who has the power to, in his mind, create everything that exists because of his will is the God who has the will to take all of the things that he has allowed temporarily to occur and to take 
all of them and eventually to wrap them all up and make sure his will is accomplished exactly the way he has always intended. I am a firm believer that God will exactly do what he has exactly intended and we will do nothing to thwart his will. Because he is the one who has the power to create. And this is what I know. In all the craziness of our world, just like the craziness in Domitian's time and the craziness they lived in, in a world of chaos and uncertainty, we are reminded that God has power greater than ours. Domitian died and Rome eventually fell. And Christianity grew and grew and grew. And eventually, Constantine and 312, thereabouts, made Christianity the official religion of Rome. No one defeats God. When I read the book of Revelation, and I know, there's all this, what about the millennium? I don't know. What about all this stuff? I got it. I know. And I know some of you probably want to come up and tell me what you think. You want to say, David, do you know what I think? And the answer is very simple. No. Nothing personal. I'm just working through it myself. This is what I know. The power of God will defeat all of the evil when the power of God is ready to. In the beginning, God created, and I worship him. But I want to talk about in the end. Because we need to know that things are always working towards the end. In fact, Revelation is, is about... Last things, eschatology, the end. And, uh, you know, when I was back in high school and college, we had, we had to do literature. We had to read literature and uh, stuff. And I remember reading a lot of books. And most of them I read. A couple of them, I had a buddy named Cliff. He took notes for me. Uh, <laughs> read some of his stuff. Good old boy, Cliff. Cliff and I go way, way back. Uh, and, uh, one, and we read Dickens. And every so often, you know, I go through these periods like a little old. I want to read some of the classical stuff. So I read over the Christmas holidays. I read uh, probably his greatest novel. I've read several. Uh, it's his greatest because it's the one I read. <laughs> the Tale of Two Cities. And I love it because it's set historically in the French Revolution. And I was a history major uh, throughout uh, college. And uh, in a nutshell, as you're, as you're reading the book, the, the, the French aristocracy has this unbelievable power, and they use their power cruelly to, just to crush the lives of the common people. And then, then the storming of the Bastille happens, and it switches, and all the people have this power, and they use that power to cruelly crush the aristocracy and anyone connected with it, and any person for that matter, they, they choose. And, and when you get through with the book, what you understand is this. The people who have the power, regardless of who you are, rich or poor, you use that power in corrupt ways to destroy people's lives. See, man fundamentally is cruel. And, I mean, and we like to say, oh, humanity is, is really good. Humans are really good. No, we're not. We're cruel, man. It's our history. Read our history. Look at the scriptures. You know, as soon as it, chapter 3, Adam and Eve sins, turn the page, chapter 4, Cain kills Abel. By the time you're in chapter 5, it tells us the world was so wicked it only thought of evil all the time. God had to destroy it and save it through Noah. Still, after that, the world was still evil. You, know, you have all these evil empires, these cruel empires. You have the Egyptians, and you have the Canaanites, and you have the Assyrians, and you have the Babylonians. You get to the New Testament, you have the Romans. And in all of this, there's just this cruelty. Listen, cruelty, evil, are inseparable. And, and, and they lack compassion, they lack mercy, they lack any sense of love. 
There's this unbelievable power that cruelty has, evil has, and it exercises it. But we're reminded there's a power greater than that. In fact, John, John, the last five books written, not, not in, in order that you read them in the Bible, but just in time, John wrote them. His gospel, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. And then John keeps talking about this power that's there. John 1.1, probably the first book he wrote was his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and all things came into being through the Word. The Word created everything. as power. The Word became flesh, and we beheld his glory, the glory of God, the glory of the only begotten, full of grace and truth. And then it tells us, you know, and he turned water into wine. That's power. And Baptists don't like that power, but it's power. <laughs> Turn it back into water, you know. And then he, then he took a guy who was born blind and gave him sight. That's pretty cool. Then he took a man named Lazarus who was dead. And for the third time in his life, Jesus raised a dead person back to life. And then Jesus died and God raised him back to life. There's this unbelievable power. Then you come to the book of Revelation and there's the power to create. And then there's the power to come back and end all evil, the consummation. There's the power to set all things right. It's about unbelievable power. The power that the creator has. And then there's all this evil, and there's evil. And in the book of Revelation, listen, it's hard. You and I struggle, and I get it, all the, the symbolism and the mystery and all that. But they would have gotten it. They would have understood it. And they're living with all this evil. In the book of Revelation, that's what it tells us, that a holy God reveals his power. A holy God. Remember a holy God we're talking to me? Reveals, reveals his power to us. To assure us he will prevail over evil. It is the power of creation in resurrection. You create everything there is. And you bring Jesus back to life. You really think defeat in Domitian is any big step for a high stepper? Not a chance. <laughs> when you know the history, when we're sitting on this side of it, and you realize a few years after you wrote this, Domitian's dead. And that Rome will eventually just just be destroyed by its, by its enemies, and Christianity will prevail? I mean, my goodness. That's the power that's there. That we live, and I, and I get it, we, we live and we see the way the world is, and, and it's so frustrating, and, and there's evil, and there's cruelty. But remember this, God did not create, create to give his creation over to evil. He didn't make all this just to give it over to evil. God's going to take it all back. I want it all back. And he'll deal with the evil. He'll deal with those who are evil. He's given them time to repent and come to faith. And, and, and we should pray that they do. <laughs> there are people. It's, you know, it's hard to pray for some people. I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to name any names because I don't want to get in any kind of trouble at all because I get myself in trouble enough the way it is. And some people I look at and say, God, you know, I just assume it's up to me. They die right now. Life would be a better place. You ever, you ever think that? I do. I'm, I'm not lying. I think that about some people. And I said, but God, I guess I'm going to pray for their salvation because I'm the pastor of First Baptist, and I kind of have to. <laughs> no, man, I'm going to pray for them because I don't care who they are. I don't want to see someone face hell for all eternity. God has given them a chance to repent and have faith. And I pray for them that they will repent and come to faith because evil will not reign for long. God will make it come to it. And then it's too late. I know sometimes life is frustrating. And we look at life and say, God, why, why? I mean, why do you allow this to happen? He allows it to happen because he gives us the freedom to sin. You know, we, people, we're a fickle group. We don't want all the rules and regulations that we think God gives us. You know, we look at Ten Commandments. That's too many. Jesus said, okay, I'll give you two. 
That's still too many. Okay. And, and yet we, and so God gives us the freedom to live however we want. And then when we live however we want and we face the consequences, we get mad at God for that too. But listen, God gives us the freedom to rebel against him. And it can be hard, and life can be hard. And now sometimes you live with loss, you, and, and loss doesn't seem fair. You lose a loved one too early. You lose, you lose your family. God, it's devastating. You lose your job. You lose your health. It doesn't seem fair, and it doesn't make sense. I get that. Sometimes you have failure in your life, and, and, and you didn't fail, but someone failed you. Or maybe you feel like a failure, and sometimes you feel this depressed and despair. And, and life doesn't make sense. And you look around, and it's like living back in 90 AD. It just seems hopeless. Because there's this power, this evil that's greater than us, and what in the world's going to happen? Remember this. Life makes sense when you realize God is more powerful than anyone or anything in creation. The creator <laughs> is always more powerful than the created. He's always more powerful. So I'm pretty much going to go with him on just about everything. And while I may not understand it, and it may be frustrating, life begins to make sense when I remember who is the creator. And I worship him. And I honor him. And I glorify him. And I receive his son as my savior and trust my life to his son. So I'm going to sum it up this way. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty simple guy, and uh, I like simplicity. And I can be at times a little bit uh, crude in my summations and just kind of, and so I'm going to say something. Just, it just doesn't, I wrote this, and it just didn't sound smooth. It didn't sound right. It didn't sound very eloquent. And I said, it doesn't really matter. It's just the way it is. This is just how, this is how, I, understand, this is how I understand it. In the end, the one who has the most power wins. So who has that power? I mean, in the end, in the battle with good and evil, the one who has the most power is going to win. God always has the most power. So God, I always want to be with you on every issue. I'm going to side with him. And in a world that's frustrating and doesn't always make sense, I'm going to remember God makes sense of it all. He created and I'm going to worship him. And some of you truly need to worship God. And take the frustrations you have. And take the loss you're experiencing and the failures of your life. And say, God, I'm going to give them to you. I'm going to worship you. Someday you'll be victorious over all of it. And God, you'll take my loss, my failure, my despair. You'll take my life. You'll make sense of it all. And so trust him and worship him. And completely give yourself to him. In a moment of invitation, if you want to come and have one of us pray with you, we will pray with you to give you that encouragement of completely giving over to the one you worship. Some of you, though, the place you got to begin and what you need more than anything is you need to be like the people way back then who received this letter. You need to be followers of Christ. And it doesn't mean life's going to be easy. Sometimes it may be a struggle, but you need to be followers of Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ to be your Savior, he will make sense of your life. Why don't you give your life to Christ now and we'll be here to greet you. You want to join our church? You want us to pray with you? It doesn't matter if you, you want to come for any reason. This is what I know. What, whatever happens today, whatever you do when you walk out of this place today, when you walk out of this place today, be sure you do this. Be sure you trust the one who has the power. So, Father, thank you for Jesus. 
You came into this world to defeat all the sin and all the separation we have from you from our rebellion. And as we look at these folks who lived way back then, God, and they suffered. And we know they suffered, but God, they had a faith in Christ, and they knew that they could worship you. And you gave this beautiful vision, this beautiful apocalypse to remind us to worship the one who creates because he will be victorious in the end. And he is victorious. You are victorious now in Christ. So let us completely and totally give ourselves to Jesus. And in trusting Jesus, Father, trust you with our life and worship you. And know what it is to experience and to worship the one who created. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand? If you want to come, we'll be here.